welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 125. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today we're going to be giving a third reading from Don't Sweat the Small Stuff by Richard Carlson. So the first chapter is chapter 97, Mind Your Own Business. It's tough enough trying to create a life of serenity when dealing with your own mental tendencies, issues, real-life problems, habits, and the contradictions and complexities of life. But when you feel compelled to deal with other people's issues, your goal of becoming more peaceful becomes all but impossible. How often do you find yourself saying things like, I wouldn't do that if I were her, or I can't believe he did that, or what is she thinking about? How often are you frustrated, bothered, annoyed, or concerned about things that you not only cannot control or be of actual help with, but are also none of your business? This is not a prescription to avoid being of help to people. Rather, it's about knowing when to help and when to leave something alone. I used to be the type of person who would jump in and try to solve a problem without being asked. Not only did my efforts prove fruitless, they were also almost always unappreciated and sometimes even resented. Since recovering from my need to be overly involved, my life has become much simpler, and now that I'm not butting in where I'm not wanted, I'm far more available to be of help when I'm asked or truly needed. Minding your own business goes far beyond simply avoiding the temptation to try to solve other people's problems. It also includes eavesdropping, gossiping, talking behind other people's backs, and analyzing or trying to figure out other people. One of the major reasons most of us focus on the shortcomings or problems of others is to avoid looking at ourselves. When you catch yourself involved where you really don't belong, congratulate yourself for having the humility and wisdom to back off. In no time at all, you'll free up tons of extra energy to focus your attention where it's truly relevant or needed. And Caroline, as is always the case in readings like this, what is your response to these ideas? I get where he's coming from, but what mostly came to mind while you were reading the part that was basically like, butt out, that means no eavesdropping, gossip, etc. My main thought was how boring, because I find, especially from our experience at our small liberal arts college, while gossip can be very frustrating at times, it is a way people connect with each other. They talk about other people. They speculate about other people. And while some of that might be fruitless, I still think that more often than not, people are looking for someone to reach out more than they're willing to ask someone for help. And my general take from what he's saying about minding your own business is that you need to be extremely hyper aware all the time of where you stand in conversations. And yes, sometimes someone comes to you because they're having a bad day and they just want to tell you about their bad day and they don't want you to give them advice. I think we've all been there where you're telling a story about a miserable day that you had. And after you're done venting, they try to offer you a solution to how to solve this problem or this day or offer you some perspective. And all you really wanted in the first place was them to listen. And in that respect, I totally get where he's coming from. And you have to gauge that. But oftentimes, at least in my experience, people are a lot more hesitant to want to burden a friend 
And so they are less likely to reach out for help. And I think that's where even if you ask someone how they're doing and you try to get involved in whatever they're doing, thus making whatever their business is your business, even if you're still held at arm's length, at least you tried. I think there's more than just some merit in trying to be there for a friend, even if you may not be welcome all the time. I agree. And I share both your ideas and also some of the things that he mentions. I would summarize what he's saying as the adage that you can't pour from an empty cup. And so you can absolutely help other people. And I would personally encourage that anyone try to help others because it's, first of all, a moral good you can do for someone else. But also, if we're being honest with ourselves, it feels good to help others. And I don't think there's any shame in that. But I do think one needs to find a balance between helping other people and also, I think as he's saying, using other people as distractions from your own problems. But I also respect where you're coming from, and I think I fall somewhere in between you two. The next chapter, chapter four, is entitled, Be Aware of the Snowball Effect of Your Thinking. A powerful technique for becoming more peaceful is to be aware of how quickly your negative and insecure thinking can spiral out of control. Have you ever noticed how uptight you feel when you're caught up in your own thinking? And to top it off, the more absorbed you get in the details of whatever is upsetting you, the worse you feel. One thought leads to another, and yet another, until at some point you feel incredibly agitated. For example, you might wake up in the middle of the night and remember a phone call that needs to be made the following day. Then, rather than feeling relieved that you remembered such an important call, you start thinking about everything else that you have to do tomorrow. You start rehearsing a probable conversation with your boss, getting yourself even more upset. Pretty soon you think to yourself, I can't believe how busy I am. I must make 50 phone calls a day. Whose life is this anyway? And on and on it goes until you're feeling sorry for yourself. For many people, there's no limit to how long this type of thought attack can go on. In fact, I've been told by clients that many of their days and nights are spent in this type of mental rehearsal. Needless to say, it's impossible to feel peaceful with your head full of concerns and annoyances. The solution is to notice what's happening in your head before your thoughts have a chance to build any momentum. The sooner you catch yourself in the act of building your mental snowball, the easier it is to stop. In our example here, you might notice your snowball thinking right when you start running through the list of what you have to do the next day. Then, instead of obsessing on your upcoming day, you say to yourself, there I go again, and consciously nip it in the bud. You stop your train of thought before it has the chance to get going. You can then focus not on how overwhelmed you are, but on how grateful you are for remembering the phone call that needed to be made. If it's in the middle of the night, write it down on a piece of paper and go back to sleep. You might even consider keeping a pen and paper by the bed for such moments. You may indeed be a very busy person, but remember that filling your head with thoughts of how overwhelmed you are only exacerbates the problem by making you feel even more stressed than you already do. Try this simple little exercise the next time you begin to obsess on your schedule. You'll be amazed at how effective it can be. What do you think about this chapter? I agree with it. I mean, for me, the times I've had the most trouble falling asleep are when I'm thinking about stuff I don't need to be thinking about at that time when I'm trying to fall asleep. Usually that's stuff like, oh, I need to do this, 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 and this. Also, I need to have this conversation with this person and that's going to go like this and I'm going to try to say this. And then suddenly I'm like, stop thinking. You need to go to sleep. It's like two in the morning. And usually when that happens, I don't do exactly what he says, but I usually just try to picture blank space in my head. I just see black 
and I try to clear my head essentially in that way. And sometimes the thoughts kind of creep in nonetheless, but I try to do that. And sometimes that's the most successful way I find to prevent the snowball from occurring. I'm sure you have similar things that happen. Absolutely. And anyone who knows me well will point out that I'm often the culprit of overthinking things. And I admit to it, but I think I've come to depend on certain thoughts of mine that I find either really profound or reliable, and therefore I'm led to trust myself. And also, I think the snowball effect or the idea of overthinking can come from isolation. And I believe that a lot of us tend to isolate ourselves when we have a lot to think about, and that actually causes the opposite of what we want, which is a lower stress level, because when we isolate, we don't have anyone to tell us or remind us, just relax for a second and stop going at 100 miles an hour. And I've absolutely had days and nights where I'm thinking far too much. And I would add to what he says that the snowball can go in the opposite direction. And if you start out with really great positive thoughts, you might find yourself having a snowball of sorts with other great and positive thoughts. And I think that can be very encouraging, again, as long as it's all under control of the individual. But I really like this chapter. The next one, chapter 85, is called Transform Your Relationship to Your Problems. Obstacles and problems are a part of life. True happiness comes not when we get rid of all of our problems, but when we change our relationship to them. When we see our problems as a potential source of awakening, opportunities to practice patience, and to learn. Perhaps the most basic principle of spiritual life is that our problems are the best places to practice keeping our hearts open. Certainly, some problems need to be solved. Many others, however, are problems we create for ourselves by struggling to make our life different than it actually is. Inner peace is accomplished by understanding and accepting the inevitable contradictions of life. The pain and pleasure, success and failure, joy and sorrow, births and deaths. Problems can teach us to be gracious, humble, and patient. In the Buddhist tradition, difficulties are considered to be so important to a life of growth and peace that a Tibetan prayer actually asks for them. It says, Grant that I may be given appropriate difficulties and sufferings on this journey, so that my heart may be truly awakened and my practice of liberation and universal compassion may be truly fulfilled. It is felt that when life is too easy, there are fewer opportunities for genuine growth. I wouldn't go so far as to recommend that you seek out problems. I would, however, suggest that you spend less time running away from problems and trying to rid yourself of them, and more time accepting problems as an inevitable, natural, even important part of life. You will soon discover that life can be more of a dance and less of a battle. This philosophy of acceptance is the root of going with the flow. What did you think about this? I think it's sort of funny that he calls it going with the flow because when I was listening to you reading it, I was thinking about how you don't necessarily, or at least I don't necessarily try to make conflict, but I definitely don't run away from it. And kind of dealing with situations as they happen, dealing with problems and embracing them and confronting them rather than cowering in the face of them. And I think that if you can deal with the problems in your life and accept them as part of your life, it doesn't mean you're the one creating those problems, but if you can deal with them, I think that's a really powerful skill to have. 
I agree. And I think we often expend so much energy trying to avoid problems that we could honestly use that same energy to solve the same problems and grow in the process when running away, although it may be tactical at times and correct with certain problems, ultimately doesn't give you as much in the way of knowledge and experience. And I think, as he points out, problems are inevitable. You will always find conflict in your life, whether you seek it out or not. And in my opinion, it is best to develop a regimen to respond to and the strength to respond to and overcome a variety of problems that you will encounter. The final chapter for today, chapter 14, is entitled Create Patience Practice Periods. Patience is a quality of heart that can be greatly enhanced with deliberate practice. An effective way that I have found to deepen my own patience is to create actual practice periods, periods of time that I set up in my mind to practice the art of patience. Life itself becomes a classroom, and the curriculum is patience. You can start with as little as five minutes and build up your capacity for patience over time. Start by saying to yourself, okay, for the next five minutes, I won't allow myself to be bothered by anything. I'll be patient. What you'll discover is truly amazing. Your intention to be patient, especially if you know it's only for a short while, immediately strengthens your capacity for patience. Patience is one of those special qualities where success feeds on itself. Once you reach little milestones, five minutes of successful patience, you'll begin to see that you do indeed have the capacity to be patient even for longer periods of time. Over time, you may even become a patient person. Since I have young children at home, I have many possibilities to practice the art of patience. For example, on a day when both girls are firing questions at me as I'm trying to make important phone calls, I'll say to myself, now is a great time to be patient. For the next half hour, I'm going to be as patient as possible. As I keep my cool and don't allow myself to be annoyed and upset, I can calmly yet firmly direct my children's behavior far more effectively than when I get crazy. The simple act of gearing my mind toward patience allows me to remain in the present moment far more than I would if I were upset, thinking about all the times this has happened before and feeling like a martyr. What's more, my patient feelings are often contagious. They rub off on the kids who then decide, on their own, that it's no fun to bother dad. Being patient allows me to keep my perspective. I can remember, even in the midst of a difficult situation, that what's before me, my present challenge, isn't life or death, but simply a minor obstacle that must be dealt with. Without patience, the same scenario can become a major emergency complete with yelling, frustration, hurt feelings, and high blood pressure. It's really not worth all that. Whether you're needing to deal with children, your boss, or a difficult person or situation, if you don't want to sweat the small stuff, improving your patience is a great way to start. It made me smile while you were reading it because I think I really learned patience from traveling and finding that everything in the world doesn't work like it does in the U.S. Not nearly everything is as efficient and people don't have those same expectations that we have in the States. So you learn to be patient. You learn that things will happen as they happen, that things will come when they come. And it reminds me of something my undergraduate advisor said in our intro cultural anthropology class, which is based on his dissertation work, which was done in Botswana, that people in Botswana say that Americans and Europeans have watches and Africans have time. I think that's so true in the way that we are constantly thinking about what's next, what's coming, and knowing exactly when it's supposed to happen and expecting that it will happen at that time. 
we also think about that in very minute ways. Like we say, oh, we're meeting someone for dinner and we'd go to our dining hall, or at least I'd go to our dining hall and I'd sit there waiting for a friend to join me for dinner. I sometimes have to remind myself not to look at my phone in that time, not to sit there and like look at my phone and do something aimless that reflects my impatience and rather just to sit there and be a person. I think it's funny that he tells himself, be patient in this moment. Don't let anything bother you for five minutes. Because for me, that's just like, be a person for five minutes. Sit here, look around, or don't look around, just sit. I agree. And what I really love at the heart of his argument, I think, is the belief that you can remind yourself how you want to act and what your principles are. And if you tell yourself, I believe in patience and want to be patient, that's really helpful and can guide not only your thinking, but as a result, your actions and practices around other people and with yourself. And I think there's tremendous wisdom in what he shared. And before we close the episode, what would you like the audience to take from these readings and our discussion of them? What really speaks to me is the idea of, yes, some things are your business and some things are other people's business. But at the same time, I think reaching out and also talking about your friends and other people in your life demonstrates that you care about people. And I think that's important. I also think what I was just saying about sitting and what he was saying about sitting and being patient, I think is a really valuable, not just skill to have, but a way of life. Definitely. And I would like the audience to think about overthinking as it was mentioned in this snowball effect, because as it relates to this show, we often encourage complex and nuanced thought. But I would also admit, as I think many people might, thinking isn't always the means to the ends we seek, and it can be very detrimental and stressful, and needlessly so in certain cases. So I would encourage listeners to be aware of their thoughts and take note of which ones are negative and spiraling and which ones are encouraging and more positively based. But of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have feedback, thoughts, opinions, or input of any kind, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where you can like our page and get updates when we post new episodes. And you can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and also sharing it with someone you think might also get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.